beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the question that is posed to you this morning is, how does God save His people? How does He establish His kingdom? What is it that God does? What are the means and the methods by which God redeems a people to Himself? Do you know that? Do you think it's something other than the ministry of the Word of God? Do you think that maybe it's through programs, maybe through the political things? Maybe if we get Trump back in office, then we could have more Christians within this nation. Is that what you think? Because if you're thinking that, you are thinking contrary to the Word of God. This becomes a problem when we don't know what the Word of God teaches regarding these things. Not knowing what the church is not knowing how the church functions, not knowing what it means to be redeemed or how one is redeemed, as the Scripture is replete with that. It is clear that God builds His church. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He will build up His church. He will bring in His people. He will bring in those from outside to the inside. And how will He do it? We know that the power belongs to the Lord. I have no power to convert your soul. I have no power to change the way that you think. I have no power to regenerate your soul and bring you from death to life. I have absolutely no power to do that. I'm powerless to do that. And yet, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all that believe. The power belongs to the Spirit of God who takes the Word of God and implants it within the soul of an individual, causing them to believe the promises of the Gospel. That at one point, an individual is a God-hater going his own way, and then the next moment, he is loving Jesus and desiring to hear His Word and follow hard after the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we call the ineffable work of the Holy Spirit as He works within the soul of men. How does He do that? The question always, beloved, is what does the Scriptures teach with regards to these matters? If we don't know what the Word of God teaches regarding these matters, then we will do other things that are contrary to God's Word. We will become odious in the sight of God. We become just like the Israelites of old, wanting to build our own idols to worship God. Oh, we're not worshiping a false God. We're just worshiping the true God in a false way. We've got to know the paradigms that are in Scripture. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. Romans chapter 10. How will a man hear? It's the Holy Spirit who gives ears to hear, to believe the Gospel. A man who is unregenerate can hear the words that I'm speaking, but he cannot believe them apart from the Holy Spirit regenerating the soul, giving the power, the ability to believe on Jesus Christ. The means by which God has given is the Word. The method is preaching and evangelizing, but it's always in conjunction with the Word. It's not your testimony. What you want to bring to the unbelieving world is Jesus. I'm not saying that your testimony has no validity. It has its place, but not when you're evangelizing an individual. This is what we need, is the gospel, which is Christ, to bring to the nations. That's how God 
saves. That's how he redeems. In no other way do we find in Scripture, except through the ministry of the Word and the Holy Spirit, does God save. Now why does the church want to come up with other methods? That just shows the sinfulness that still abounds within our hearts, isn't it? We're always looking for something more than what God gives to us in His Word. We were talking about that this morning. I was talking to the elders about certain things that go on in the life of the church. There's only so many things that we can do as the church which is found as a principle within the teaching of God's Word. We're not going to make things up. We're going to find certain things that are in God's Word and we're going to strive to implement them in the congregation. But we're not going to have Balloon Day. We're not going to have your little kids' days with little circus and clowns and things so it'll appease you. We're not going to do that. At least while I'm here, that's not going to happen. We're not going to have Hot Dog Day. Well, you know, we'll have somebody out grilling in the front and so we can bring in the community so they can get a hot dog, a free hot dog, and maybe a balloon when you come in. Drawing them in by the means and methodology of the world. That's what the church always defaults to when it doesn't know the Word of God. Shame on us. Shame on us for doing those things of the world and our minds being conformed to the ways of this world rather than being transformed by the renewing of our mind through the ministry of the Word and the Spirit. Shame on us for becoming just like the world and thinking the methodology of the world is going to save men. It's not. It has no power to change. Change, you know, we, we talk about rehabilitation. Somebody that goes to prison and they're, they're rehabilitated. Not unless they're regenerated. No government program can do that. No man can do that. What God has given is the ministry of His Word. And beloved, once the inside of the cup and the dish is cleansed, then the outward becomes clean as well. When you change the mind of a man, is what the Holy Spirit does through the Word, then you change the way that he lives. That's what Jesus means. You first cleanse the the inside of the cup and the outside will become clean. You've got to focus internally. The heart. The matter of the heart is the heart of the matter. And God alone can cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish. And He does so, as it were, by the washing of the water of the Word. Think about the cleansing that goes on. It's the Word that does that work. That's what the Holy Spirit uses. So, what we find in the text this morning is that the disciples, and look, we're no different. The disciples were looking for something that was not on God's agenda page. But what we want, this is often what happens, is that we want certain things, we we have an agenda, and we want God to bless it. We want Him to rubber stamp our agenda. We want Him to then bow down to our agenda and bless it. And the disciples were the same way. That's what sin does in our minds, doesn't it? It makes us fools. It makes us stupid. Sin distorts the way that we think. What we find the disciples, notice in verse 6, Therefore, just that brings us back to what was previously written, 
It's when the disciples were gathered together, the apostles, and they were told by Jesus to wait in Jerusalem because there's a promise. And the promise is the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. This is what has been given to them. So therefore, when they had come together, so you have Jesus and you have the apostles, they have come together. This is not a broad group. This is a small group. This is Jesus and the the apostles. And they then ask him. Uh, They begin asking him the question. They're always asking him questions. The question they ask now is, Lord, notice, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Their mind was Israel and only Israel. They had an idea of political that God would bring a political ruler that would overthrow the oppression and the domination of the Romans and restore the glory again to Israel. That is what is couched within this question. They're not thinking broadly. They're not thinking that the Gentiles will be included into the church and we will be the body of Jesus Christ and it won't be in the nation Israel. It will go out to all the nations of the world. It'll begin, and this is what we find, uh, first of all, in in Acts chapter 1 through 7. Chapters 1 through 7 deal with Jerusalem. And that's what Jesus said, from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. 8 through 12 deals with Judea and Samaria. And then when he goes on and he says the uttermost parts of the world, which was regarded as the Roman world, you have chapter 13 through 28. Those are the three sections that you find within the book of Acts. But notice it's, it's much broader than a narrow mind of only the Jews and only the ethnic Jews. So, will you at this time restore the kingdom? The, the, the kingdom. Now, what kingdom are they referring to? Well, dominantly in their minds, they wanted glory days and so probably Davidic Solomonic kingdom days. Solomon had peace in his reign. David was a man of blood. He had more controversy and things going on. But there was glory. It was a glorious kingdom as David was set up as the king. And so they had that in mind of a restoration. Because there were lots of kings in Israel. But this really was Solomon's reign gave much glory and prestige to the nation Israel. Now translate that. Translate that to today and how many people think about the United States. We are not Israel. We are not restore the glory to the United States. Because we are the people of God. You don't find that teaching in God's word. There are many Christians within our country. But this country is pagan. This country is God-hating. I hear that stuff all the time. This is a Christian nation. It was founded upon Christian principles. When the pilgrims, when the Puritans came over from England, landed in the colonies and established much godliness within those colonies. Where do you see that today? You don't see that. You see predominantly a godless culture. That's the culture in which we live. People want to think we're going to restore the glory to the United States as the people of God by getting Trump back into office. 
I don't even think Trump is a believer. I don't think he's a Christian. I don't see it in his life. I don't see it in his words. I don't see it the way he lives, the way he even does his campaign. I don't see it. He didn't go to an Orthodox congregation. He's a member of a liberal Presbyterian church. Now, you know, is he best for our country politically? Probably so. But don't be thinking that he gets into office and back to prestige and the glory days of the people of God here in the United States. That is not what the scriptures teach. And that's the same falsehood that we find with the disciples, with the apostles here as well. He said to them, first of all, verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Kairos and Kronos. The particular times and the particular epics or seasons of life. It's not for you to know that. What is it for us to know? For us to know is what God has revealed to us in His Word. He has not revealed when Christ will return. He's not revealed that. The day or the hour no man knows. Not even the Son, Jesus said, but only the Father. Now, in His divine nature, we know that Christ knows the day and the hour. But what is that for? Why is it that He doesn't speak to us in that manner about His return? That when He is going to return? So we don't become slothful. So we don't take our eyes off of the prize and the responsibility. Because, beloved, we have a responsibility. Do you know what your responsibility is? As a Christian, we are all involved in what's called the Great Commission. From Jerusalem, and then it went out to Judea and Samaria. A definite article before Judea, including then Samaria as a particular region. And then to the uttermost parts of the world. The Roman world, and then further out even from there. And here we are as the disciples of Jesus Christ, and we are commissioned by the King of Kings to go out into all the world and bring the gospel. Not to be concerned about when Jesus is coming. He is going to return. He has promised that in His Word. We'll see that in our text as well. But our concern is the mission and the means and the method that He has given. And the mission is to go out and take the Word of God to the nations by preaching and evangelizing and calling all men in. Go into the highways and go into the hedges and evangelize. And speak to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the great mission of the church of Jesus Christ. Which, you know what, are we sitting on our hands? What's going on today? Why are we not turning the world upside down with our doctrine? Why are people not angry at you and me? Because we're not speaking the truth. You know what a chameleon is. I mentioned this last Lord's Day. We're too much like chameleons. We have the ability to blend in in any situation, scenario, scenery. So that we go unnoticed. So that we don't disturb and we don't disrupt. We are called as salt and light in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says, Ephesians 4 and 5, he speaks about light. Light exposes darkness. That means everywhere that we go, we expose the darkness. We turn on the light and the darkness flees. Controversy, beloved. 
I'm not talking about you being arrogant or self-righteous or pompous. Just simply speaking the truth is contentious in a society that is so pluralistic as ours. It will bring contention into your life if you speak up. People start talking about their way to God. And, you know, as long as you're genuine and sincere, God will accept you. No, He won't. And immediately, I'm told, well, you're rude. How do you want me to say it? It doesn't matter how I say it. No, He won't. No, He won't. No, He won't. They're going to be angry. Because you're saying that Jesus is the only way. No, I'm not saying that. He said that. I'm just telling you what he said. That you can't get to God except through Christ. But we live in a world that says, you can. If you're sincere or you worship somebody else or something else, as long as you're genuine in your worship, God will accept you. And the scripture says, he won't. And you are not loving your fellow human beings. You are not loving your neighbor as yourself if you tell them that God will accept their pagan worship as long as they're genuine and sincere. You are then, you are an abomination to God and you are one who is hastening the damnation of an unbeliever. We are to be truth tellers. And the truth always exposes and the truth always agitates people. That's the calling, beloved. Our kingdom is a kingdom of truth. It's a kingdom of righteousness. It's a kingdom of godliness. It's a kingdom that worships the true and living God. Not a multiplicity of gods. One true and living God. And so Jesus says... Keep your eye on the focus of the purpose for which I have given you is to go out into all worlds, the highways, the byways, and the hedges, and compel them to come in. Speak to them about the things of the kingdom of God. Tell them there is a hell to be avoided. You are to flee from hell. You are to run from hell. And the only place to run is to Jesus. Because He is heaven. He ultimately is heaven. He is the one who fulfills. He is the one who takes all of the punishment upon those who trust in Him. So, don't get concerned with that. We have that even in our day. The date setters. People wanting to come up with, you know, Harold Camping in 1994. Um, 199 reasons why Jesus Christ will return in, in 1994. Well, He didn't. And, and number one, Jesus says that nobody knows. And so why are you trying to prognosticate? Why are you trying to come up with dates? Don't be a date setter. Run from date setters. They're false teachers. So mind your business of what God has given us to do. This, this is the ministry of Hope Reformed Church. This is not my ministry. Oftentimes we have this jargon that throws around and we become, dis- our, our, our understanding is disrupted. Our understanding is, is blended with false teachings, with false notions. That's his ministry. No, no this is not my ministry. This is our ministry. 
This is our ministry. It's the ministry of Hope Reformed Church. I have an aspect in this ministry, but so do you. So that means when there is somebody that is sick in the hospital, you have a responsibility as part of the ministry of this congregation. I have a responsibility. The elders have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. This is our ministry. How do we minister? How do we first minister to one another with the gifts that God has given to us so then it might continue to spill over in the society in which we live? And then even beyond that with foreign missions, giving as we have given in the past. This is not, beloved, a been there, done that. People think that because I've done it once, okay, I'm good to go for the rest of my life. No, this is a keep on keeping on. The Apostle Paul speaks about loving one another and he tells us to abound even more and more. Love is seen in our giving to one another. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians that he gave not only the gospel to the Thessalonians, but himself as well. Giving himself to one another. Giving ourselves to each other as the body of Christ. And to abound in this more and more. Not to shrink back, but to press forward. That's the calling. Are we becoming lukewarm? That's what the status quo brings. Lukewarmness. You're neither cold nor are you hot. Are we lukewarm? Because we've grown accustomed, we've grown satisfied, we've grown fat and sassy with things. And we're satisfied with our past performances. And so, ah, we're good to go. Is that what the ministry of Hope Reformed Church is to be? Not according to Scripture. We are to be those bubbling over. There is not to be a coldness, there is not to be a lukewarmness. We are to be hot as the people of God. We are to bring warmth to the community. We are to bring care and concern and love and provision to, number one, the body of Christ, and then even further on from there. This is what the people of God are called to do. Keep your eyes, your mind, focus upon your responsibility and not on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll come uh, when the Father has, has already put that time in motion. He will come. Let us, let us uh, be found doing the work of ministry when he comes. He goes on. To them, he said, it is not for you to know the times and the season which the Father has put in his own authority, but you, notice, shall receive power. Power for what? Power for service. Power that enables you to be bold. Power that enables you to speak. Power that drives away the fear of the soul for the faces of men. Power that enables you to do what God calls you to do no matter what people say. Power to stand firm under pressure. Power to walk in truth. This is the power that Jesus said, you, will, you shall receive power. The Greek term there, dunamis. That's where we get dynamite. 
It's the explosive power in that sense of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is what was promised to the disciples for the mission in which was given to them of going out into all the world. They needed the power. Why? Because you can't do it in your own strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to acknowledge that, beloved. It's not our programs, our ingenuity. It is simply sticking to the methodology of Scripture. What God has given to us in His Word. Does it become discouraging? Yes. But it will become ultra-discouraging if you go to your own methodology. Because there will be no results beneficial to men in honoring to God. <laughs> Reminded of a movie, Denzel Washington, and remember the Titans. He throws up his playbook to the coach, and the other coach looks at it, and he says, only six plays? And he says, it's just like Novocaine. Give it time, it always works. That's the preaching of the gospel. Don't lose confidence, beloved, in the ministry of the Word. Don't lose confidence in bringing people's minds to the truth of God's Word. Don't lose confidence in Scripture. I think the church today has lost confidence in the Word of God. What can you say? As soon as you outsource to something else, you've lost confidence. You find none of that in Scripture. But my life, with regards to faith in life, is contained from Genesis to Revelation. God deals with every area, every aspect, in principle or precept. And the minute that I go outside of the Word of God to try to find help or to do something other than what God's Word says, I don't have confidence that God is going to do what He says He's going to do. Don't lose confidence. The Holy Spirit brings power. Let me ask you this. Are, are you timid when you're in the culture? Are you afraid to speak up? You have problems in your marriage relationship? You have problems on the job? You have problems in your family? The power is from the Holy Spirit. You derive strength and power and ability from the Spirit of God. Are you timid? Are you afraid to speak up to people? Are you afraid to say something, to mention the name of Jesus? Are you a chameleon? Do you run and hide? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Depend upon Him. Call upon Him. Fill me. What you find in Scripture, numerous times, that when the apostles were filled with the Spirit, they were given boldness to speak. They weren't afraid of the faces of men like so many are today. That's because we're not filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, you're dominated by the Word of God. You speak the truth to people. You know the truth. You understand what God has called you to do. You know what's coming in the future. You're calling all men to repent because you love mankind because this is what the Lord has called you to. That, that's not natural. That's a supernatural work of the Spirit of God. And we must continually be kept on being filled. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you are, notice the results that come from that. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart unto the Lord. In whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Being filled with the Spirit of God produces results. 
The same results that are spoken of in Colossians 3 with the filling of the Word of God. When the Word dwells in you richly, those same results flow from that individual's life. That's being filled. It's being dominated by God's Word. It's being able to speak the truth of God's Word. Well, you go home today, read Acts chapter 7. You're going to find Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, who speaks clearly and boldly in the face of impending death. This is what we need. This is what the disciples, the apostles needed. This is what we need. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Resting upon you. Giving you the strength and the ability to do the gospel mission. Of taking the gospel to the nations. Can you see, beloved, how much this is needed in our day? Not only simply locally, but as those that are in this country. Do you see how much this is needed? Look, we don't need less preaching and teaching and ministry of the Word. We need more. Where did this idea come in that we need less of things? Okay, we've been filled up our tank on Sunday. We're good to go. No, you're not good to go. Using the analogy with the physical aspects, would you eat only today and you're good all week long? At what point would you start getting in the refrigerator again? Probably not long after you leave the fellowship meal today. You're looking for something to snack on. We need it. It's the energy. It gives us energy. It sustains us. Uh, How much spiritually? We need to be sustained continually. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit. Pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not mystical. And don't pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit and neglect the Word of God. Because that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's to be so dominated by the ministry of the Spirit through the Word to change the way that you think. That it energizes your life. It energizes you to go out and speak to people about the truth of Jesus. You look forward to that. You, you plan about when you're at a certain place and somebody's going to be there and I really want to talk to them about Jesus. And maybe you get a book, maybe you get a track, maybe you take the three forms of unity, but you're prepared, you're looking forward to that. I, I, I'm not sure, I don't think that that's the way it is today. I think there's too much sitting on the hands. I think, well, that's your ministry. No, no, it's our ministry. It's all of us have the responsibility to go out into the highways and hedges and with the power of the Holy Spirit. And notice he says, and you will be witnesses to me. Witnesses. Martus. You know what we get from Martus? Martyr. You will be martyrs of me. People will put you to death for bearing witness of me. This is what you find with the apostles, don't you? Death. Put to death many disciples. Put to death. I read an article. The French Huguenots back in the 1600s. 70,000 were killed for the cause of Christ. 70,000. For because they were faithful and diligent. Uh, they were the French Calvinists, the Huguenots. They were slaughtered. Uh, this is what's going to be. We might not have a comfortable life. Beloved, I said it before, this is not a playground. This is a war zone. We live in a war zone. We like the playground, but it's not a playground. And when we think it's a playground, our mind is not focused on the mission and the method that Christ has given to us. 
We're too concerned about comfortability, pleasability, palatability, things that are pleasing to me and comfortable for me, soft for me. And that's not the mission of the church. So, the Holy Spirit gives us power to be witnesses to Christ. Witnesses. We're not changing the heart. We're witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the transformation that Christ alone can bring in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the end, to the end of the world. And so, this is what Christ commissioned to the church is. After he had spoken these things, verse 9, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received them out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, uh, as he went up, behold, two men stood before them in white apparel. These are angels that are standing there, who also said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? It was like they were mesmerized. They couldn't believe it. So for 40 days, Jesus was coming in and out from among them. But now he's taken up, and he's taken up in bodily form. In the Shekinah cloud, we find this in the Old Testament. Uh, the, 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 the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. Here it is, the cloud. Jesus is taken up into the cloud and they're mesmerized by this. They're probably paralyzed by this. There goes Jesus. Where's he going? What's happening now? What's going to happen to us? And they say to him, notice, good news again. This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will also come in like manner. Like manner, in the same way. And this is what we find, the coming of Christ, coming on the clouds, coming to consummate. He comes in judgment in 70 AD, but he comes physically at the end of the world, at the times, the seasons, the Father has put in his own authority. What the Father has given, that's coming, but it's not yet. That's a struggle for us, isn't it? The already and the not yet. The already that Christ has won the victory, but not yet has the consummation come. We live in the mop-up stage. We live in the conflict stage. We're in the church militant. The church that is at war. The church that fights the good fight of faith. Christ is coming. He is going to return. He's going to return to set up His kingdom that is here on this earth. As the new heavens and the new earth come down out of heaven upon this earth. And we will always forever be with the Lord. What is the point of the ascension? And this is what I'm going to close with. There's at least three things. Uh, one thing with regards to the ascension is that this is sort of a finality for the disciples. The 40 days that Christ had been walking in amongst them, it's not going to be that way now. I am going to send you another helper, one of the same kind, the Spirit of God, who will be in you and upon you and give you power to be those that evangelize the world. That's number one. That Christ going up into heaven, it demonstrates to them it's not going to be the way that it was. Because you don't know, think about that. For those 40 days, hey, you know, Jesus is going to pop in and out. That's the way it's going to be for the, till the end. No. Now there's a finality of that. So we have that, first of all, with regards to the, the ascension of Jesus Christ. Secondly, with the ascension of Christ, we have his session. His seated at the right hand of God, ruling over all things, which is demonstrated that he is the one who has sovereign power. All power and authority has been given unto me. He is crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. He is ruling over all things to the church. The Father has received the work of the Son. The Son has taken his place in coronation. 
The sun has sat down. His work is finished. He is making the enemies the footstool of his feet. He is protecting. He is preserving. He is increasing his church. He is the cosmic authority, the king of all of the universe. This is Jesus Christ. I have set my holy king on my hill of Zion. Psalm 2. That's Christ. He came up to the ancient of days. He is the one seated now that his work is finished. So, you you have the Lord Jesus Christ in the finality, as it were, of leaving. You have his session that went on as well. And you have that wondrous promotion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Coming up always has that idea. Remember, when you go into a wedding feast, don't sit in the highest places. Sit in the lowest places so that when they bring you up, you will have honor in the presence of all. Jesus is honored in the presence of his Father by the ascension. Christ is the ascended King. He is the one who is infused, as it were, into the life of the church. The person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Who brings us power that we as the people of God would be bold. We would be clear in our proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We would say what God says in His Word. We would stand on the promises of God. We would not fear the faces of men. We would be bold as lions. We would not run and shake at the, whiff, at the, the leaf that's wiggling over in the corner. But that we would go into the nations and we would love mankind because we love our God. And we love those who are created as image bearers of God. Broken, shattered, and fallen. Who are on the broad road that leads to destruction. And we come with the life-saving gospel. The only means and method by which one can be saved is the bringing of the gospel of Christ to the nations. Let us, beloved, be those that are filled with the Spirit of God so that we are emboldened and empowered to go out of the world. We need that desperately today. We need such an infusion of boldness in the life of the church that we would be on point, that we would stay focused, that we would be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the labor of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Boy, we need that. We need one another to encourage, to put to mind to one another the truth of God's Word so that we would be encouraged. We would have that infusion of courage, of boldness, that the Lord is with me, even in this, because He is in all the details of life. This is the mission and the method given to the church of Jesus Christ. Let us be faithful. Let us not look at this as my ministry, but our ministry. Let us go out into the highways and hedges. You in the area that the Lord has called you, and I in the area the Lord has called me. But let us go, beloved. Let us take the jewel of the gospel to the nations. And when you have those opportunities to speak to other people about the life-saving gospel of Christ, about Him who saves, who redeems, who washes, who cleanses, who forgives, who reconciles, who adopts, who infuses the ministry of the Holy Spirit within the soul. When you have opportunity, take those opportunities. Be faithful, be diligent, be bold, be strong, because, as the psalmist says, the Lord your God is with you. Amen. Shall we pray?